changes. What's the Word? Brought to you by Columbia Baptist Church in Columbia, Kentucky on 101.9 WAIN. I am Randy Johnson, the senior pastor at Columbia Baptist Church, and thank you for joining us every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock right here on 101.9 WAIN. Well, good evening and welcome to What's the Word? Here we are in the middle of May. Can you believe that we are already in the middle of the month of May? It's almost like 2020 is half over and nobody's going to be sad about that. 2020 has been such an interesting year so far. I mean, there's a lot of plans that small businesses had. There are a lot of graduation plans that our high school, college graduates had, a lot of summer vacations that were planned. And now here we are, hopefully toward the end of quarantine and the coronavirus pandemic, you know, this worldwide threat of this strange virus that uh, kind of came upon us all of a sudden and uh, really started to wreak havoc the first part of March. And here we are after just over two months of dealing with it. And I certainly hope that we are on the downside and there's light at the end of the tunnel, as they say. But I'm glad in the safety of my office to be able to bring this radio show to you this evening. And I'm always thankful for the sweet folks that I have the privilege of pastoring at Columbia Baptist Church for helping to make this radio show possible, along with the sweet ladies at Adair Drug and also Grissom Martin Funeral Home for helping to sponsor this broadcast as well. But, you know, every week when I do the show, I always try to find relative content, you know, things that are kind of new in the news, things that are interesting, and try to find some kind of a, uh, a theme that really runs through the entire show. Well, I have no theme. It's certainly not going to be all about the coronavirus because I think everybody's kind of over-talking about that. But there are a couple of interesting, I guess, stories and, and anecdotes that I want to share with you that are related to the coronavirus, but certainly not going to be the entire theme of the show. But I really don't have a theme um, for the entire show, and so I'm going to kind of be all over the place, touching on lots of different things. And so that being said, if you start this radio show and for whatever reason you're not able to finish, please go to my podcast tomorrow. It is called Walk This Way, and you can go to the website that hosts it. The website is Anchor, and so you can just type in on your browser, anchor.fm slash walkthisway. And you can find all of the episodes of this radio show. You can find sermons that I've preached at Columbia Baptist Church. You can find all kinds of content there. And I would just encourage you to not only find it on Anchor, but you can find it on Google and Spotify, iTunes, Pocket Casts. There's about nine different platforms that carry Walk This Way. And so if you miss any of the segments of this show, I want to encourage you to find it on my podcast and enjoy it that way as well as the other episodes in the past. And you can kind of get a, a, an idea of what each episode is about, try to do a little summary of what that episode is about uh, in, in a comment on each episode, you know, as you go to Anchor or Spotify, wherever, uh, iTunes, you can see the and read the uh, description that I have there. If you, you know, just want to know, okay, what did he talk about on this Wednesday night? It'll be hard tonight because, like I said, I don't know quite how I'll summarize all of the content that I have other than just to say it's a random Wednesday, and so I'm going to be a little bit on the random side today. But to start, I do want to talk about Columbia Baptist Church for just a moment and say that our church, just like I think every church in the state of Kentucky, um, and I can say the state of Kentucky, I know that many states are doing phases of reopening businesses and allowing groups to meet in larger numbers than 10, you know, going up to 50 and then on up from there just to kind of gradually get people back in the swing of things and, and meeting together. Of course, we know that 
in all likelihood, there will be a small spike, hopefully not a large spike in number of cases once people do begin meeting in large groups, going to restaurants and movie theaters and worship services and things like that. But our church is no different. You know, we're thinking, praying, and considering what it is that we want to do on our first Sunday back, which we are hoping, praying, and anticipating to be March the 24th. So not this coming Sunday, but the following Sunday. And the plans that we right now are praying through and talking through, we're just asking the Lord to bless and give us leadership and just help us to know what direction to go. And so if you're a part of Columbia Baptist Church, I want you to watch on Facebook and certainly watch the live stream this coming Sunday because I'll make a special announcement Sunday morning uh, before I preach about what we are anticipating doing for the following Sunday. And so you just uh, make sure that you are tuned in on the Facebook Live stream or on YouTube Live on the church's web uh, or the church's page on YouTube. And if you're unfamiliar on how to do that, just go to Facebook and, and search for Columbia Baptist Church or go to YouTube and search for Columbia Baptist Church. You will find us there and our page will pop up. So subscribe to the Facebook and the YouTube page so you can get all kinds of updates on things that we're doing. And I'm excited too to say that we're going to continue to live stream even after we get back into our regular worship service whenever we get some kind of normalcy back. Um, we will continue to live stream on Facebook and YouTube and very thankful for that opportunity. Of course, you know, a lot of folks would say, well, that's going to encourage people to stay home. You know, whenever I hear that, I, I have to say, I don't think that people that say that really know Christian people. You know, Christian people, it's when you come to a worship service on a Sunday morning, it's like a family reunion. You know, every single Sunday, you see people that maybe you haven't seen all week. You want to catch up. You want to hang around and talk a little bit. You want to go to a Bible study with them, either before or after worship. You want to spend some time talking in the parking lot. And just because we live stream, it's not going to encourage people to stay home. What I hope and pray it will do is reach people that won't go to church and won't even think about it, but maybe they'll watch. Maybe they'll listen. Maybe they'll get a little you know, a little insight into what this Jesus person and what this Christianity thing and this church thing is all about. And then, of course, on every live stream, we're going to encourage people to come and join us in person because there's really no substitute for that face-to-face -face fellowship that we have and just the joy that we have meeting together. And so anyway, I'm looking forward to seeing our church family again face-to-face -face and worshiping together. And so just be praying for our church, be praying for our community, be praying for uh, your church if you're a part of another uh, local congregation, or if you're listening to this even in another state, I'd certainly be praying for your state and your state government, your community, and the church that you're a part of. I say that because we are on 101.9 WAIN, and that radio station has a good strong signal and also 1270 AM has a good strong signal, but it's also live streamed right now on 1019WAIN.com. Yeah, and so there may be people all over the world, all over the United States, tuning in right now and listening to my voice. And if they are, if you are, thank you for tuning in to What's the Word? Well, let's jump into some of the content that I have this evening and a couple of interesting things that, as I said, you know, the, the show is not really about the coronavirus and what I meant by that is I'm not going to talk statistics, I'm not going to talk about the virus, I'm not going to talk about, you know, closures and things like that, but now that we're kind of two months in and things are starting to open up and some other... I guess some other effects other than the physical effect, but the economic effect of the quarantine, the shutdown, all of that stuff, the non-essential stuff, it's, it's had an effect and it's going to have an effect for quite a long time. One of the things that I saw, and this may not affect many of you, but it certainly will affect some of you, I found a, an article the other day that said that Steak and Shake, the restaurant Steak and Shake, has closed 57 restaurants 
and they have uh, 51 others that they have closed and you know in recent past and they're also I mean they had grown from 553 restaurants to 624 a year ago and they closed 62 of those temporarily because of the pandemic but now they're going to close 57 altogether and you know that may not sound like that many when you have 624 and you close 57 But when you really stop and think about almost 10% of a business just being shut down, the effect that that has on not only their business, you know, globally, but you also begin to think about what does the effect of that have locally? I'm not talking about people that love their hamburgers, their French fries, their shakes and desserts and things like that. I'm talking about people that are employed at those 57 restaurants. You know, as a result of the effect of you can't go inside, you can't sit, you got to go through the drive through you know, some of these restaurants and Steak and Shake is no different, you know, they already had a drive through But when you funnel everybody through the drive through you're going to get a lot of people that are going to say, ah, oh, the line's too long, I'm going to go someplace else. Or, you know, I really wanted to go and sit down, I really don't want to take this home because I live too far away or whatever, I work here, I just wanted to go in, eat, or, you know, go into lunch, I just want to take some time off work or, you know, in between classes at school, and I wanted to go and sit down in the restaurant. Well, you know, when you take that away, you're taking away quite a bit of income from all of the 600 plus restaurants in this one particular chain. Now we're talking about McDonald's and Wendy's and Taco Bell and, you know, all of these restaurants that are really feeling the effect. This is just one example of a restaurant chain that has now been forced or is now not being been forced, but they are facing a 10% reduction in their total number of stores because of the last two months. This is one reason why people are saying, open the country back up. Let's drop the restrictions. Let's drop the quarantine. Let's get back to our regular way of life. But then you have to say, okay, but as a good citizen of the community that I'm in, is that safe? Is it time? Honestly, listen, it's hard to know sometimes. It's hard to know, is the virus a hoax? You know, there's lots of information out there to suggest that, you know, some people are saying, hey, this is all inflated. It's really not that big of a deal. But, of course, there have been plenty of people and lots of scientific information that many of us don't know how to read, don't know how to interpret, but we kind of take the word of those that are medical experts, you know, are saying that the coronavirus pandemic is very serious. And so you have this effect that the shutdown, the quarantine, all of that has had on businesses. And again, I'm just using Steak and Shake as one example. There have been countless businesses. You start to think about those that are small businesses, as we in America might call mom and pop stores. But we use that as a description of locally owned businesses. They're not a corporate chain. They don't have sponsorships. They quite literally have loans to buy their merchandise. They have rent to pay on the building that they're in. They sell certain things, whether it's clothes or jewelry or hair salons or whatever it might be. And they have employees to pay. And listen, if they don't make income, they can't pay their rent. They can't pay the loan. They can't you know, pay their employee. I mean, this is a... This is an effect of many, many businesses all across the country are going to be shut down. Now, listen, you have something, some of you are saying, well, look, Steak and Shake losing 10% of their business, that just means that more people will go to the other stores that, that you know, the other restaurants that are open uh, in the next town, or they'll go to Steak and Shake or, you know, whatever. People don't feel bad for a corporate chain. And listen, the the idea is those chains, many of them are going to survive. 
You know, they have investments, they have stocks, they have bonds, they have, you know, big time investors. I mean, the, the, many of these chains and corporate chains have billions and billions, or at least millions of dollars. They're going to be fine. They may take a hit, yes, but they're going to survive. But what about those small businesses that will not? And so I have personally seen a lot of encouragement of small town businesses once the quarantine is over, once people get back to their regular way of life, once things open back up, they're saying a couple of things. Number one, buy American. You know, you can look up the number of items, you know, that you buy. And I guarantee, like just take toothpaste, for example, or take, um, you know, hairbrushes or take soap, you know, whatever it is that you purchase regularly, you can find American-made businesses that make those items. And a lot of people are saying, listen, let's go back to the roots of what made America strong and let's buy from American-made businesses. Let's make sure that our own country is stable and let's purchase from let's purchase those items yes they may be a little more expensive here or some of them may be a little less expensive quality may be better in one and not as good in another again use your own judgment research it whatever but they're also saying not only should we buy american but also shop local businesses uh you know there's there's not a lot of people that feel bad for walmart and and Target and some of these, you know, national chains that are open and are allowing people to shop and they're going to do just fine. But right here in Columbia, Kentucky, we need to make sure that our local businesses and our local economy stay strong. So this is, again, this is just one example that I wanted to bring to you today and just as a talking point for small businesses, for local businesses, and just to say there has been and will continue to be an effect. Um, speaking of, and, and the, to me, this is an interesting story that has lots of levels to it. I'm not going to get into all of the levels of this next story. I'm going to touch on a couple of them only because this is interesting but also because I don't know a lot about this guy. But anyway, there is a hip-hop artist, a rapper, uh, Takashi something or other. I don't know what his full rap name is. But he is a relatively young guy, Takashi something. And I, he apparently wanted to make a donation of $200,000 to an organization because he made $2 million when he released some song, uh, some album or whatever, and merchandise sales or whatever in, in a week's time. He made $2 million. So he was going to give $200,000 to No Kid Hungry. And this organization, No Kid Hungry, focuses on childhood hunger, and they are a, uh, an organization that, you know, honestly has been supported by some other celebrities and some other folks, you know, put them in the forefront because they are really promoting making sure that childhood hunger is a problem that can be dealt with and, and overcome. And so this Takashi guy, this, uh, this hip-hop rapper guy, decided that, you know, he would come out and he posted something on the social media uh, app and, and page, Instagram. And he said, by the way, his real name is Daniel Hernandez, but he goes by Takashi something or other. But anyway, he was going to donate a tenth of his earnings to, to this particular organization and wanted to, he made a statement, you know, he, he 
put a whole paragraph on there of, you know, during the pandemic, he said, I understand we have nurses and frontline hero workers who risk their lives. He said, but never forget the children and families who depend on our public schools for daily meals and nutrition to keep our family leaders growing to their best potential. Now, he's got like 19 and a half million followers on Instagram. I am not one of them. I've never heard of this kid. I have no idea who he is. But here is a guy who donated 10% of his earning of one week of sales and merchandise and really seems to have the right heart, the right intention in his gift. And he's supporting an organization much like what we did as a church locally for Adair County students. Our church partnered with several other churches to provide food to students in our community that are at risk. And we purchased the food, we boxed up the food, and a couple of other churches partnered in to box up the food. And the Adair County School System uh, teachers and, and some of the administration folks, they delivered it to the neediest children in our community. And they continued, even till today and tomorrow, to deliver food to those children. What a blessing and, and, and what an effort that our local school system, others have, and this organization. However, this donation was denied. They said, and I quote, we are grateful for Mr. Hernandez's generous offer to donate to No Kid Hungry. But we have informed his representatives that we have declined this donation. They went on to say, and I quote, as a child-focused campaign, it's our policy to decline funding from donors whose activities do not align with our missions and values. Now, somebody's going to say, hey, that's $200,000. Who cares where it came from? That's going to put food in kids' mouths. That's going to help. On the other hand, you also have a source of this income that is coming from a guy who apparently lives and have, has lived a lifestyle that goes against not only what this particular organization believes, but most likely what many other donors believe about this organization. Now, here's a layer that I'm not going to get into, but one layer to the story, and, and people have asked for many, many years, Pastor, what would you do if somebody won the lottery and gave a million dollars to the church through the lottery? Or let's suppose somebody went to the track and they bet money on the Kentucky Derby winner and they gave money from their winnings at the track, you know, whatever. And that's been a debate that has gone on, and people have, you know, all sides of the debate. This is a very similar, for a nonprofit organization, this is a very similar debate because they consider the source of the income and the kind of lifestyle that this kid has led. Now, this guy is 20-something years old, 24 years old. He's currently on house arrest. He was released from prison because of the COVID-19 concerns, uh, because he has asthma. But this is a guy that last year pled guilty to a string of gang robberies and shootings and agreed to testify against his former associates in the gang Nine Trey Gangsta Bloods. I don't know who or where that is. But in 2018, so two years ago, he was sentenced to probation for a conviction stemming from the use of a child in a sexual performance. So you can understand, I think, why an organization that promotes the well-being of children would not accept money from a person who has lived a lifestyle that goes against the values that this organization is trying to uphold. I agree with their concern. I agree that they have to be careful where they take money from because you may take $200,000 from a guy 
who has a very checkered past and who has questionable morals and values, and by taking $200,000 from that person, you may then cut off $2 million of funding from many other people that don't line up with this guy and his values, and they say, look, if you're going to take money from him, then you're not going to get my money. It's an interesting dynamic where even charitable organizations are struggling to not only receive funding, but they even have to consider the source from where that funding comes. Now, I did say that this show is not going to be all about the coronavirus. And it's not in and of itself. Uh, so certainly understand that these first several stories that I'm bringing to you are not just all about the coronavirus. But listen, let, let me, let me kind of tie up some loose ends because this show is called What's the Word? And I want to get back to what the Bible says, especially when we're talking about finances. Money is one of the most challenging subjects and honestly, one of the things that Jesus spoke so much about in his earthly ministry, or at least that we have recorded in the Gospels, I'm certain that he spoke volumes more about finances and the other parts of his ministry and his teaching ministry, and we have just a small fraction of the teaching of the ministry of Jesus recorded in the four Gospels. But money is such an interesting topic because at the root of it, and I, I use that word intentionally, at the root of why do we need money is essentially for life, for transactions, for getting certain things that we need, you know, certain essential things. Because let's, let's be real, if you can't grow it and if you can't make it, then you have to purchase it from someone who can. So, you know, you think about the things in your home. What are the things that you have in your home? What are the things that you use on a regular basis that you cannot grow, that you personally cannot make, that you are dependent on some other person or company to produce? And so you need money to be able to buy that from that person so that you can have a quote-unquote essential resource in your home. So money is essential in that level. Americans, I would say, with, along with the rest of the world, we take money to the next level. Money is not just used for essential goods and services. Money is used for vacations. Money is used for entertainment. Money is used to purchase non-essential things that we use that we really don't need, but this is kind of in, in keeping with, you know, the American way of life. We, we want money because there are certain things that we want. Yes, there are certain things that we need, but we fill up our life many times with things that we don't need. When Jesus spoke of giving, all right, so let's, let's, let's bring this down to this particular guy, this particular situation, and this certain organization, No Kid Hungry. When it comes to the giver, and it comes to the heart and the intention of giving, Jesus teaches a parable because he's sitting at the, at the temple watching people give. And there are people that come up that pour money into what we call the coffer. Now, they had brass or bronze collection you know, buckets, large buckets. And people would come and they would, they didn't have paper money, they had coin money. They would come and pour their offering into that. Now, you can imagine if you're rich and you're giving lots of money and you have a ton of coins that you're pouring into the coffer, it's going to get the attention of people around. You know, if you had, let's just say you had a thousand gold coins that you are pouring into the coffer. Not only is it heavy, but it's going to make a lot of noise. If you had one gold coin and you dropped it in the coffer, it's going to make quite a different noise 
than the person who's pouring in a thousand gold coins. Jesus is sitting back and he's watching these people pour money into, in large amounts into these coffers and making a lot of noise, getting a lot of attention. And then he sees a lady with two copper coins. I mean, fraction <laughs> in, in dollar terms, just a fraction of a dollar, a small little bit, drops it into the coffer and does it humbly. And Jesus says that woman gave more because she gave from her heart. The others that poured money in gave out of the overflow of what they already had. She put in, Jesus says, all that she had. You think about this kid who made $2 million. In one week because of sales from a song and sales of merchandise. And he goes on Instagram and he says, hey, everybody, I just made $2 million. I have a questionable lifestyle. I'm on house arrest because I got let out of prison because I have asthma. I have a, a checkered past. I've got all these issues. I've been part of gang stuff, but I just made $2 million. And I'm going to let the world know that I'm giving 10% of that to this organization Look how wonderful I am. And the organization says, you know what? Considering the source, we're okay. Thank you, but no thank you. I don't disagree with checking the intention as far as they know. I mean, honestly, they can't, they, they can't determine this kid's heart. They can't know what his intentions are. But they look at the source and they separate themselves from the source just simply saying, listen, because of who you are, what you've done, how you have put children in danger, how you have not upheld the values that we have as an organization, we don't, we don't need your money. And I'm simply saying this. I, I'm not going to the level of the church and the lottery and the gambling and all of that, like I said before, that'd be a whole other show, which I'd be happy to do some other time because I've got way up, many other things that I want to get to this evening. But I will say this. God knows the heart and the intention. And even if this organization had accepted the money, God knows the heart and the intention of the giver. Okay. This organization cannot effectively say, I know how this guy feels. I know why he's giving this money. Did he give it? Was he willing to give it with good intentions? Maybe. I mean, he sounded sincere in his Instagram post. Was this guy trying to right some wrongs of things of his past? Maybe. Does this guy maybe want to help feed children? who he identifies with because maybe he was one of those kids, perhaps. But it is the right of this organization to say, you know, because of your lifestyle, we don't want to align with who you are with who we are. Those two do not match. But ultimately, all I can tell you is anytime you give, anytime you serve, anytime you do anything, God always knows our intentions. And so we may give to a local church, but with the wrong heart. Does that church benefit from getting that financial support? Of course. Is God pleased with your offering? That's between you and him. I can tell you as a pastor, I don't know in 20 plus years of being a senior pastor that I have ever had the opportunity to evaluate the heart and the intention of another person's gift to the church. I know that people have given special money or you know money to a special cause that they were passionate about, but I have never in any way, shape, or form been given the opportunity, nor have I created the opportunity to evaluate somebody's heart and their gift. That is between them and the Lord. And so I'll just tell you, 
When you give to a charitable organization, when you give to a nonprofit, when you give to a local church, always give with the right heart and the intention. Always give for the glory of God and to advance God's kingdom. That's it. You know, even, you know, Jesus even said, when you do certain things like that, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. You know, if this kid really wanted to give $200,000 to No Kid Hungry, he didn't have to put it on social media. He didn't have to do an Instagram post to let 19.5 million people, and now with this story, even more millions of people know what he was doing. But he did, and so it became a story. And now that it's a story, now I get to talk about it in Columbia, Kentucky. So there's that. While this show is not all about the coronavirus, I do want to say this. I found this story fascinating because, and it comes from CNN, which I don't follow. I don't, I don't watch their news. I don't really know a lot of what CNN reports for many, many reasons. But here is, here is the headline under CNN business. Here is the headline to the story. I'm just going to read this. Word for word, Americans create new economic threat with their own savings. I saw that headline and I thought to myself, this is the kind of article I want to read. Here is the first sentence of this article. It says, and I quote, Americans are slashing their spending hoarding cash, and shrinking their credit card debt as they fear their jobs could disappear during the coronavirus pandemic. This article goes on to say essentially what morons people are for doing this. And they are causing a threat on the economy by holding on to their money by slashing their credit card debt, because it says, the very next sentence says, that U.S. credit card debt suddenly reversed course in March and fell by the largest percentage in more than 30 years. At that time, next sentence, savings rates climbed at levels unseen since Ronald Reagan was in the White House. This article is making it sound like this is bad, like this is terrible. This is I mean, it, okay, so here's the next sentence. I'm not making this up. The dramatic shifts in consumer behavior reflect the unprecedented turmoil in the U.S. economy caused by the pandemic. I don't understand why this is so bad. Yes, I understand that, you know, because there is unemployment, because people are having to quarantine, they, they can't, we're not talking about restaurants, you know, people going to sit in a restaurant, you can order takeout and get over it. We're not talking about, you know, going to Walmart and, and buying, you know, toilet paper. We're not talking about, we are talking about people that have lost their jobs, they're saving their money, they're cutting their credit card debt because they're unsure of their future. And CNN business says, can you believe the nerve of these people? I think it's fantastic. Uh, the less debt that people have, the better off they are. When you build a business off of debt, you know, I mean, when you rely on debt um, for an economy, that's, that's not good. Um, and, and I'll be honest, whenever the economic stimulus came last month and they sent thousands of dollars out to people that had children and made a certain money, you know, to stimulate the economy. My first thought was, where is the government getting this money from? Don't we have a deficit in trillions? And yet they're able then to turn around and send money to people. Where did the money come from? But you see, the assumption is, oh, well, we're going to send money and it's going to stimulate the economy. What if you send that money and people put it in a savings account? What if you send that money and people pay off their car note? What if you send that money and people pay their credit cards down so that they have lower debt this month than they did last month? 
CNN Business is saying, can you believe how foolish these people are and what a threat it has made on the economy? Excuse me, the last time I checked, people can do with their money what they want to, and if folks really are smart, they will do what these folks have done. They will cut their debt. They will pay off credit cards. They won't just take free money and go out and, and be willy-nilly with it and spend it however they want. They're actually going to be smart with it. Not everybody, but certainly some people. And I read this article, and it is just, to me, it, it is amazing. The tone of, can you believe the, the foolishness of these people? Can you believe the threat that this is causing and, you know, and to say, okay, well, people are going to put money aside. Listen, we all know the American heart, the American intention with money. Just because people put money aside now doesn't mean that money's going to stay there tomorrow. It means that in the face of uncertainty, people are putting money aside. They're paying off their credit card debt because they're not sure what's going to happen in the future. But you and I know good and well that as soon as the economy opens back up and businesses open back up and people start getting out, going to movie theaters and going out shopping and going to malls and all of this kind of stuff, all of that saving, all of that credit card debt is just going to go right back up. But this article is saying that by people doing that, that they're causing a worse effect on the economy because they're being cautious. You know, l let me just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it this way. At the end of the day, people are going to do what they want to do. And if you shut down certain businesses, if unemployment goes to 14.5% nationally, if you shut down certain things in mom and pop stores, don't be surprised if by shutting certain things down that the economy takes a nosedive. Don't be surprised if people take money and put it aside or pay off debt and don't be irritated with people doing a rational thing when they feel like you, meaning government officials, are doing something irrational. Now, is the shutdown and the quarantine, is it irrational? That, again, Whole other subject. I have other things to get to. It's a whole other subject. You'll have to tune in another time because I'm sure I can tee off on that and and go for it. But I just really found this this article and the tone of it really fascinating. And and it's it's a long article. It gives several examples of this type of <laughs> I keep calling it foolishness. I mean, he doesn't say that. Uh, Matt Egan is the writer of this particular article, but I just found it really fascinating. Oh, my goodness. I, I don't want to run out of time because I have a couple of things that I really would like to talk about. But there, there is one story that will probably end up being the last one that I talk about anyway. But it is a story out of Georgia. And many of you are familiar with what I'm about to share. But there was, back in February, a shooting of a young man, Ahmad Arbery. And Ahmad, as a 20-something-year-old African-American man, 25 years old, was shot in a neighborhood after being fo followed by a father and son in a pickup truck. And he died from two shotgun wounds to the chest. And recently, I believe it was just last week, a short video clip taken by a person who was following Ahmad and, and perhaps seeing what might take place. Or, you know, the story says that Ahmad was jogging and a, the father and son in the white pickup truck kind of raced ahead to wait for him to come down that road and then once they did he attempted to run along the side of the road 
out of the way of the truck, then you can see that, you know, the video is not great, but you can see him struggling with one of the guys with the gun. And then you hear the gun go off. And then there's a second shot. This happened on February the 23rd, by the way. And Ahmad tries to, makes a, a, a very short attempt to run away, but collapses after making about three or four steps away from the truck. Why in the world would it take two months, two and a half months, to make any kind of an arrest in this case? Well, in case you haven't heard some of the background, the father and son believed that Ahmad fit the description. I don't know how in-depth or how detailed the description was, but they said that they believed that he fit the description of a young man who had made some burglary attempts in either that neighborhood or in a neighborhood, and they were trying to stop him and do a citizen's arrest. Now, this is their statement to the police. A couple of issues with that. Number one, the law says that you are only able to make a citizen's arrest if you catch the perpetrator in the process of the crime. In this case, even if even if Ahmad fit the description to the T, even if these two guys knew without any hesitation that he was the one that was doing these in-home burglaries, the only thing legally that they should have done or could have done was contact the police. Trying to hold him with shotguns pointed at him, obviously shooting at him, taking his life, goes so far above anything that they were able to do or should have done legally, it's, it's ridiculous to even think that two and a half months passed before any arrest was made. I think what led most of the outrage was when the video footage came out showing the altercation. Now, what you see in the video, in case you haven't seen it, I believe it's still on, you can find it on YouTube. You could probably do a Google search and find it if it's, if it's still available. But on the video, you see Ahmad jogging down the street. The, the white truck is in the center of the street in a, in a neighborhood. Ahmad runs to the right of the pickup truck to try to run around. There's a, uh, a man standing in the back of the truck, and he's standing up, up against the back windshield of the truck and has a gun, has a shotgun in his hand. The video kind of loses a little perspective. It's almost like the, the guy was trying to turn the wheel and take video at the same time, but Ahmad runs around the right side of the pickup truck. The next thing you see is Ahmad running up to the other man and wrestling with the gun. And then you hear the gun go off, you see the white smoke, and you hear the gun go off again, and then you see Ahmad trying to run and then falls, collapses in the middle of the street right in front of the truck. I think when that video hit, and so many people saw it, the outrage of not only this killing of a young man just simply because two men thought that he fit the description, the outrage for that just went, went crazy. It went viral, and rightly so. But then the idea was, well, why in the world did it take almost three months, two and a half months before these two men were arrested. Again, you hear their understanding, their, you know, their story is they were trying to do a citizen's arrest. The law says you can only do that if you see the person in, in the middle of the crime. But why did these two white men have shotguns in their hand, one in the back of the truck, one on the side of the road, waiting for him to run up on them, why in the world would it ever be okay 
in any community anywhere to kill someone with shotguns just simply because you think that this is the person that has committed some crime. It took all that time for the arrest. Once the arrest was made, again, their story came out of what they said had happened. And lots of people over the weekend were kind of commemorating Ahmad Arbery with going on a run, going on a jog. But here's the other thing. And, and, and as much attention that the story got that it rightfully should have, as much attention to the foolishness of these two men taking what they deemed to be justice in their own hands, which clearly they had no legal right to do, nor did they even have probable cause, you know, because you just simply see a 25-year-old African-American man running down the street, then all of a sudden you become a vigilante and you become you know, the town marshal, you and your son take guns and shoot a guy. Um, the foolishness of that. But here's what it comes down to, and, and honestly what the conversation should be. The conversation comes down to the fact that our country is still overrun with what we, and we use the term racism, I have said many, many times before, the term racism is an improper word because there is just one race, the human race. There are not multiple races. There are mul multiple ethnicities and multiple ethnic backgrounds, but we use the word racism be simply to designate between a white person, black person, whatever, you know, and, and if we, uh, you know, if one, what we call race, if, if the white race is, you know, uh, looking down upon or, or abusing the African-American race, then we call that racism. That's the way that we have identified it in the United States, and we use the term racism. So the only reason I'm using the term racism is because that's the understanding. I think it's an improper term. I think in, in terms of ethnicities, one ethnic background when you believe that your ethnic background is superior to another ethnic background, then that is what we would, turn, would, would deem as or what we would call racism, what we would call uh, discrimination. And so I like those terms better, you know, ethnic background and discrimination. But however, it, it, that's a lot of words for, you know, the way that I process things. Whatever you want to call it, at the end of the day, two white men took justice, what they deemed to be justice, though they were not carriers of the law or keepers of the law in terms of, they were not law enforcement people. They took the law in their own hands just simply because of a hunch, because of an assumption, and they shot and killed a 25-year-old African-American young man And simply because what it all comes down to is that a 25-year-old African-American man can't be alone, can't be unarmed, can't go out for a jog without the potential threat of his life being taken just simply because two men think that he looks like the person who they think has committed some crimes that they did not see and have no information on. That's what it comes down to. I do not understand what we as Americans call racism. I think it is dumb. I think it has no place in society anywhere. I think to judge somebody because of their ethnic background, or let's just put it this way, because of the color of their skin, I think it's stupid. I was not raised that way. I have good friends of mine that have a different color skin than I do, that I consider brothers, they are Christians, they are good men, they are some of them pastors, some of them are wonderful men to their families. Yes, they have a different skin tone than I do, but I look at them as brothers, I love them, I consider them part of family in my heart, 
And the idea that anywhere in the world we would judge somebody and look at them differently just because of the pigmentation of their skin is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. People, if you are a citizen of the United States and somebody with a different skin tone is a citizen of the United States, treat them as an equal. They might make different money than you. They might have different income level than you. They might look different, talk different. They may come from a different background. But my goodness, we all bleed the same color blood. The Bible in many, many cases makes it crystal clear that God looks at us the same. He is no respecter of persons, meaning that God does not qualify a person based on the things that we qualify people by. God doesn't look at somebody and say, oh, you don't make enough money, I don't like you. Oh, you don't have enough education, I don't like you. Oh, your skin tone is that color, I don't like you. Now listen, I know that at the end of this show, I, my tone is pretty sharp, only because I think any instance of what we call racism, prejudice, I just think it's ridiculous. I think it is so far from the gospel of Jesus Christ, it ought not to exist anywhere in the world. But it does. And unfortunately, for many people in the United States, for many people in our society, they feel it every single day. They do not feel like an equal. They do not feel like they are welcome in an area. They feel as though the color of their skin incites people to think that they are a threat for no reason other than the pigmentation of their skin. And here I am, Randy Johnson, senior pastor of Columbia Baptist Church. I think that's ridiculous. First of all, nobody controls what pigment their skin is. Nobody controls their ethnic background. When you are born into this world, you are born what you were born as. You don't pick your family, you don't pick your background, you don't pick your skin color, you don't pick your gender. You don't get to pick anything. The Bible says that God forms us in the womb. He creates us and knits us together, and the Bible says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That is how we ought to look at each other. We ought not to judge someone just simply based on exterior things. We need to look at people the way that God looks at them. We need to see people as fearfully and wonderfully made. We need to see people based on who they are and not what we think they are. And honestly, when the Bible describes people, and, and Paul is great at this. He, you know, the, the Apostle Paul traveled all over the world. And one of the things that Paul says is there's neither slave nor free, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female. In other words, what Paul says is, in the eyes of God, we are all the same. We are all sinners in need of the grace of God. Jesus died for the sins of the world. There is no designation of this person needs Jesus more than this one, or this person is good enough for heaven and that one is not. There is no such thing. God doesn't do it, and neither should we. And so as I close the show, I just want to say this. When the, when the Bible says, when Jesus quotes what we have, have deemed as the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, I would simply tell you this, treat other people in the spirit of what Jesus said the way that you want to be treated. And if you don't want to be discriminated against because of the color of your skin, if you don't want to be discriminated against because of how much money you earn or what your last name is or how much education you have, then don't do that to other people. And I will simply say this. Let's love each other the way that God loves us. Let's see each other the way that God sees us. Because that is the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We all need Jesus Jesus died for the sins of the world. Therefore, every one of us should look at each other exactly the same. I'm thankful to have the opportunity to preach the gospel of Christ. I'm thankful to point people to Jesus. I'm thankful that as the old saying goes, that at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. 
we are all welcome there because we all need it. And so I don't want to live my life qualifying one person and disqualifying somebody else. I want to love people the way that I know that God loves them. And so I appreciate you joining me tonight on What's the Word? And I look forward to, Lord willing, for many other Wednesdays to be able to share this with you. But you can find the entire episode on my podcast tomorrow morning. It is called Walk This Way. You can find it at anchor.fm slash walkthisway. Thank you for joining me tonight. Have a great rest of the week. Hey, this is Pastor Randy Johnson. Thank you so much for joining me for What's the Word? That show airs every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock on 101.9 WAIN right here in the heart of Adair County in Columbia, Kentucky. Or you can catch the replay of What's the Word on my podcast, which is called Walk This Way. And you can find that in several different places. You can find it at anchor.fm backslash walk this way on the internet, or you can find it on different apps and, and places that carry podcasts like iTunes, Spotify, Pocket Cast, and all sorts of uh, places. You can find this broadcast. You can find messages that I've preached. And I just want to encourage you to make it a point to tune in, subscribe, and listen to all sorts of content that's on my podcast, which is called, again, Walk This Way. Thank you so much for joining me.